0: Okay, so the only thing I got out of Christy's announcements was they're cooking bacon somewhere in this building. And exactly, and there's none in here. Bacon. All right, so, okay. Can you tell? This is green. I found a marker. Stop trying to pinch me, you bunch of junior hires. So here's a funny story. So this morning, got all this construction going on in my house. Obviously, as you can tell, because these are track marks. I actually took a Dremel tool in my arm. Um, yeah, it hurt just like that. Uh, and, and so I got band and stuff. But everything's tore apart. And it's, it's dark this morning when I'm getting ready to leave. All my clothes are We don't have a closet. I don't have a place where, you know, like vanity in our bathroom. Everything's just jacked up. And and so I got all my stuff, and I have this thing with my tennis shoes in it. And so I grab my tennis shoes, and I kiss my wife goodbye, and I hop in the car to put on my shoes like Americans do, like get dressed in the car. And I'm driving down here, and I realized I grabbed two right-hand shoes. So all morning, I actually didn't have shoes on, and my wife brought me my left. So, Yay! Welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the community tables throughout the room. If You have a smartphone. You download an app. It is called UVersion. You click on Live in UVersion, It will bring us up by GPS in your smartphone, and you'll get the sermon notes and the verses and the questions that go along with it. Two things as we begin. Number one is this. Uh, baptisms. Uh, baptisms are uh, April 14th. If you are a Christian or call yourself a believer and you're not being baptized, my question to you is why not? Why not? Uh, Some people say, man, I I just, I want to follow Jesus and love Jesus. I just want to know what Jesus wants for my life. You know what Jesus wants? He wants you to get baptized, all right? I mean, one of the clear things that Jesus said is get stinking baptized. Not like that, but he said get baptized. So, it's right there. Aaron, chapter 22, verse 8. Get sneaking baptized. So anyway, uh, if you are a believer, it's it's not a have to. It's a get to. It's a joyous occasion. We do not make you stand in the pool and give everybody a whole speech. That you write that out, and so and we'll help you with that, by the way, so that you don't have to do all that. It's it's a great time. The rest of you, if you're not getting baptized, you're all invited. If you're not going to Hawaii on the plane, this time every every week now, all summer long. Woohoo! Okay. Anyway, so uh, you are all invited to come. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have food and stuff, and pool's gonna be heated, hopefully, <laughs> by that point, and everything will be good, and you'll have a great time. So you should all come and just hang out that day, even if you're not getting baptized. Come and hang out with us. Uh, second thing is this: Good Friday, uh, Good Friday, March 29th, We are doing a Good Friday service at eleven p.m. Now there is a reason for this. Uh, Every year we try and do something different for a Good Friday. This year is no different. There's a reason why it's at 11 o'clock. Uh, this, you're not going to get all kinds of goodies like you know last year with the dinner or anything, but it's, it, it's got a point to it. And so that's why we're doing it at 11, and we invite you to come to that. And that's my two things. Why don't you stand with me reading to God's Word? We'll get going. This is Psalm... Uh, chapter 88, verses 14 and 15. It says, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up. I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that uh, in situations that we don't understand, that we don't get, that we'd be a people who trust you and what we do understand is that you are faithful and you are good and that you see us through all the times of our lives. That's that you'd help us to trust you and understand that deeply in the Core of who we are. Amen. Have a seat. So today we're going to return to the life of Joseph. This is Genesis week 59. If you have a Bible, you can open to Genesis 39. I got a lot to cover today. Uh, Today, Joseph is going to get propositioned by a married woman, wrongly accused of rape and thrown into jail. Just what you expect for people who really want to follow God and do the right thing to happen to them. That's Joseph is incredibly important in scripture. I mean, you've got thousands and millennia of time up to the time you hit Joseph and the last 13 uh, chapters in Genesis. It's just this one guy. Uh, uh, Joseph's great-granddad is Abraham, his granddad is Isaac, his dad is Jacob, his brother is Judah, who we looked at last week. Uh, Joseph is a favored son, he's a spoiled brat, rich kid, got his own coat nobody else has like his, but he's also a tattletale and a sinner. And so he made his brothers mad. They jump him and they sell him into slavery. And so in the last time he saw Joseph, he's being taken down to Egypt. And essentially, Joseph is like a small country boy in the middle of the big city. And he's going in chains. He is a Christian kid going to a non-Christian place where there are no Christians. And the ruler of the country thinks he is God, much like America. (laughs) In Egypt... There is demonology and false gods and false religions, and he is by himself. He is a slave to non-Christians. He's in his late teens, possibly his early 20s. He is a virgin. He is in the big city. What's he going to do? Now, one doctrine that overrides the entire life of Joseph, and I keep telling you this, is the doctrine of providence. Providence That God is overseeing and working out Joseph's life to God's will. It is for Joseph's good, for God's glory, and for all of his people's joy. So you have to understand as you look at the scriptures and especially Joseph's life, the question is not, is God going to be faithful to Joseph? Because God is always faithful. The question becomes, is Joseph going to be faithful to God? Will he be a man of integrity in this hostile environment? So Genesis 39, verse 1, this is where we start. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, he's probably his head of his security, kind of second next to Pharaoh. The captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And verse 2 is beautiful. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. So, Joseph, he is alone. He's got no friends. Seems like no one's with him, and yet it tells you God never left him. God was always by his side. In the New Testament, we are told, through God's spirit, that God now resides in his people. And so no matter what you feel, you are never alone. Now, Joseph is not sinless. He's not perfect, but he tries to obey God, and God takes care of him. It says he was in the house of his Egyptian master. This is important. The house means he's not in the field. Most slaves would work, and they'd live in the field. Joseph is in the house probably because of his character. Because he was trustworthy, his owner wanted to use him more. This is a good word for you and me that have jobs and we actually have to work. That you work hard and you work well. If you go to your job and you just give the minimum, you better get over it. If every time you get your paycheck, you look and go, oh, I'm at 6.8 uh, sick hours. I can't wait till I get 1.2 more so I can call in sick. If that's you, knock it off. Knock it off. I mean, you may think, I got a bad job. I got a... Well, you know what? Slavery is a bad job. What do you get paid? Nothing nothing that's where you get paid nothing can you quit no what's my health care plan well uh do i get an affordable health care act is there pharaoh care do i get anything no (laughs) you know what it is if you get sick you get whacked with a stick and you die and tossed in a hole that's your health care look i know your job stinks i know you don't like it that's why they pay you no one gets paid to sit around eat cheetos and watch tv you do that for free They give you money because you do things you wouldn't do if they didn't pay you. But you work hard. You work well. You work honorable. You don't call in sick all the time. You don't steal all the post-its and take them home and use it to wallpaper your house with joseph is a guy though he's a slave he works hard and honorably and though he may never get to have kids he may never get to own a house he works hard verse three his master saw that the lord was with him he sees joseph's faith by what he does by how he works his job question for you can the people you work for say the same thing And that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. He becomes Potiphar's executive assistant. It's like a devil wears Prada. Potiphar wears Joseph. That's what it looks like. He, he worked hard. He worked smart. He is faithful. I mean, I have lots of dreams for Christians in our country and in our world. And one of my dreams is that, that we'd be trustworthy people and that non-Christians would be like, oh, I got a Christian applying for a job. I want to hire them because they're trustworthy. They don't slack off. They don't eat my profits. They help out even when it isn't required. I want to hire them. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. There is no one I trust this much, especially a teenager, to give my bank account to and my email passwords to and everything in my house they take care of. See, the problem is is there's not a lot of trustworthy people in the world. What is that? Is that a phone or is that just me? I I swear, am I hearing things? Is it me? Wait, I am hearing things. God's telling me, stop, sing a song. Okay, The problem is that there's not a lot of trustworthy people in the world. You and I should seek to be trustworthy in all things. Why? Because it demonstrates the character of God. We are children of God, and we're supposed to love and serve Him in all things things. Verse 5, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. Why? Not because of Potiphar's, but because of Joseph. God blessed because of Joseph. This is Abraham's covenant. You will be a blessing to the world. This is coming true in Joseph's life. See, you and I need to leave this place and go out and ask, man, how can I be a blessing to the world around me? How can I be a blessing in my neighborhood? How can I be a blessing at my work? How can I be a blessing even just in my own home? How can I bless people? Joseph understood that God is good, and he was to go out and he was to show that in the hope that maybe Potiphar would one day come to know this God as well. That's how you should work your job people looking at you and going wow that person really loves jesus i want to know this god they serve because they really work hard and they work well see joseph isn't just preaching his theology he is living his theology so he so left all he had in joseph's charge and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate and i love that because it's just like a dude it's like well everybody take care of everything else but food we call that all right it's like i've been thinking about milk duds and yogurt all day when i get home i'm eating milk duds and yogurt you're like Ew, whatever hey it's biblical all right, I get to think about it, I get to call it. So wh- where's the other you're going to drop? You know, wh- where, where's the problem coming? Here's the problem, Chapter, uh, verse 6, second half of it. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Many translations will say well-built. So Joseph is the only guy in all the Bible that puts these two words together, handsome and well-built. That means he is the hottest dude in the Bible. He is good-looking. Now, some of us, we wish we were handsome, right? We like the, you know, Joseph's like the thunder from down under. That's, that's Joseph. We're like, man, I want to be like that. And we want, we want sick pack abs, and all we got is this cooler. And it's always open, open for business, right here. You know, we want guns, and all you got is like these, like these pea shooters. You're impressed with those, right? you think this would be like a really great thing. The downside is when apparently when you're this good looking, people want to see you naked. This is the advantage of the middle-aged bald plumber. Everybody wants to keep your clothes on. (laughs) Verse 7, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Now, this doesn't mean let's go out and find all my friends and tell them things that aren't true so they think we're cool. This means you're going to come to bed and you're going to sleep with me. This is his boss. He can't sue for sexual harassment. He can't say, oh, I'm fed up. I just quit. He can't quit. In many cultures, slaves were expected to perform sexual favors for their owners. And our culture usually wants to say all men are bad, all women are good. No. Scripture shows we're equal opportunity evil, all of us. Let me ask the ladies in this room a question, okay? Can some women be as bold and as brazen as men? See, you said it. I didn't. Don't send me hate mail. There it is. It's it's right there. I mean, how, how many women just love to be just a little too flirtatious, touch a little too long, hug a little too long, talk a little too long, wave, smile, wicked, wicked. She doesn't say, let's go to Starbucks and have coffee. She says, we're going to have sex right now. This is an aggressive woman. Now, I'm usually oblivious. Sometimes my wife and I will be doing something. My wife will say, hey, that girl was talking to you. I think she likes you. She's looking at you. Sometimes this happens with dudes at the airport. I don't know. I got the vibe, okay? <laughs> I do. And I, I never see it, because seriously, I'm like 5'10", I'm built like a junior high girl, and, and, I don't, and I don't get why anybody... But think about this, Joseph, he's in his early 20s, probably looks like Brad Pitt. I can't imagine being in that kind of state. I mean, our, our TV culture, we think, oh, this is a great story. She's the desperate housewife, he's the attractive lawn boy. Boom, lifetime movie right there, ready to go. But this becomes the defining moment of Joseph's life. He can go to bed with this woman and live a secret life of sin, or he can follow God. Now, how many of you, don't raise your hands, how many of you would give in? Attractive woman, no one's going to know, it's not illegal, it's your boss, they're telling you to. Men, I will tell you this, so much of your life is going to be summed up many times by the decisions that you make when it comes to sexual sin. And it can destroy you. Joseph does not know the providential plan of God. He is all alone. What could be easier to convince yourself that it's all okay? What could be easier? And so Joseph makes a decision, verse 8, but he refused. But he refused. I mean, that is wonderful. You should memorize that. Get Sam to tattoo it on your body somewhere. But he refused. It is short. It is easy. He didn't negotiate. He refuses. We are in a culture where sexual encounters are so easy. Pornography, loose women, you know, nudie bars, Craigslist, casual encounters. You need to refuse. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that, is in my, everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. Great sermon, short and sweet. Bet you wish you could get one of those from me. He says, your husband trusts me, and you are not mine. You are his. How dare you ask me this? I mean, this is courage. Men, we need to learn how to be forthright and lay it out there from the start. And Joseph says this, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? God against god joseph is thinking about his true master this means it matters what we do even when no one is looking even when we're alone verse 10 and as she spoke to joseph day after day he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her this woman is following him everywhere When walking in the room to work here she comes i'll go in this room oh she followed me in this room i'll go in the oh she followed me in here i'll just go in the bathroom boom hey i'm peeing in here she follows him everywhere He, he can't get away and some, some guys when you talk about this, they'll say, Well, well she's, you know, the girl I'm dating, well, she's not, not married, and neither am I. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. One day she could be somebody else's wife. I can't tell you how many engagements I have seen fall apart. And everybody thinks, oh no, we're gonna and, and they fall apart. You could have your hand on another man's wife, so you knock it off until you put a ring on her finger and you walk the aisle. You have to say no every day because the one you don't is the day that ruins your life. And so Joseph says, no. And you would think God would bless him for this. Way to go, Joseph. Way to do the right thing. No, something terrible happens to him. Verse 11. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment. Probably waiting behind a pillar, pounces out like the cougar that she is, (laughs) saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. So he's like, ah, and he just runs away. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called the men of her household and said to them, she does three things in this. She said, see, he, and that's referring to her husband, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew. Second thing, she's a racist, and saying that, that's a lowlife, to laugh at us. And it's the third thing, she tries to get everybody else involved. It's my husband's fault. He's brought in this lowlife from across the border, and he's here to laugh at all of us tries to get everybody on her side anybody here don't raise your hand again but anybody here when you if something happens you want to get everybody on your side even when you're wrong that's her it says he came in to lie with me and i cried out with a loud voice because he's a pervert and i'm just a wonderful good woman and as soon as he heard that i lifted up my voice and cried out he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house here is the evidence do you see the evidence it's in my hand Now, I know I hammer on guys all the time, but girls, I will tell you, a lot of times girls will lie to get out of situations to cover their sin. And men will feel bad when a woman cries. And girls know this. When a a girl cries, we don't know what to do. We're like, oh my goodness, do I got to stab something? I got to pound myself in the head with a hammer? I got duct tape and a screwdriver. What do I do? You're crying. We we don't know what to do. We just wanted to stop. We we want to fix it. And guys will usually rise up to defend a crying woman. And guys, you should do that. But before you got to make sure before you jump up to defend a woman's honor, you got to make sure she is honorable. She says this, verse 16, Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, and that's what it is, just a story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me, and laugh has the connotation of caress. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Okay, you brought him, you fix it. You bought him, you fix it. He tried to rape me, you go get him. Now, guys, what do you do? I mean, if it's me, you know, I would say I'm going to get my gun and you will never find the body. That's that's what I'm going to go do, because husbands are prone to believe their wives. Parents are prone to believe their children. Friends are prone to believe their friends. But if you've seen a person in your life lie to everybody else, what makes you think they're not going to lie to you? What makes you think that if they're lying, they're lying to everybody. You know, you got to get the facts, especially when someone uses the word rape. This is like house right in house. Like everybody lies. That's it. That's that's the motto right there. I tell you, Trevor's kids, I mean, you guys know Trevor, he's one of the guys that go here. His kids crack me up all the time because they're always doing something crazy and stupid, and one of them's always crying at the end of it. And so we're standing in the back at one point, and uh, one of his sons comes up, he's like, ah! Eli pushed me. And he's screaming and crying. I'm like, oh, well, what's going on with that? He pushed me. And Trevor's like, well, what are you pushing him for? And he goes, and it's, I can't remember what the whole thing was. like I shoved a sparkler in my ear or something. You know, Boom. And it's, and it's like, but he shoved me. And he's like, dude, seriously, when your head's on fire, it's a legitimate shove. You put a sparkler in somebody's ear. Yeah, that's okay. You can shove him in that. You're, you're doing okay. Proverbs 18:17 says this. The one who states his case first seems right until another comes and examines him. This is why guilty people always talk first they're always talking first that's why you gotta get the whole story this husband responds like this verse 19 and as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him this is the way your servant treated me his anger was kindled and it is okay to be angry if it is true but it wasn't. If you would have sat Joseph down and got the whole story, they could have figured this out. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were combined, and, there, and he was there in prison. He goes to jail on a false rape charge. No justice. But what do you think Joseph does in jail? If you read the rest of the scriptures, you understand. And during this time, he actually probably develops his relationship with God more. He probably prays more in the midst of this terrible time. And what do you think Joseph prayed while he was in jail? Actually, let's go back. What do you think Joseph prayed after being sold into slavery? God, please stop this. God, please send me back home. What do you think he prays when Potiphar, an Egyptian, buys him as his slave? God, please stop this. God, please let me go back home. What do you think he prays when he becomes the head of a house? Of this house? Oh, thank you, God. This is great. Can you please actually just send me back home? What do you think he prayed when his master's wife started going after him? God, please stop her, fry her in her tracks, do something, you know, make her when she pounces and ran into the pillar instead of me, do do something about that. And then what do you think Joseph prays when he gets thrown into jail? God, please bring about justice. God, please do something in the midst of this. And if you were to ask me what is the single biggest motivator for, for our prayer lives, I think it's answered prayer. I think when you pray and God shows up and God does something and it moves and he hears your need and, and does something, and, he, and he, you're just like, wow, that's it right, right there. The biggest motivator to pray in my life is answered prayer. If you were to ask me what is the biggest demotivator for prayer, I could tell you in two words. You know what it is? It's on your notes. Every result, unanswered prayer, unanswered prayer. Somebody, maybe they would love to be married and they spend all the time asking God to bring someone into their life to meet the right person and they never do. Maybe somebody wrestles with depression and they ask God to lift it and God never lifts it. Or maybe somebody gets seriously cheated or wronged at work and they ask God for justice to prevail and it just never does. Or maybe you're like Joseph and you're thrown into jail on a false rape charge and you want God to bring about justice and it just doesn't happen. Everybody in this room, if you haven't been there, you will be in a place just like Joseph where you have deep prayers that go unanswered. And it can cripple your prayer life if you don't understand God and you don't understand faith because there is an ache in our hearts in this idea of unanswered prayer. I mean, there are no sermons about why God answers all of our prayers, right? We never preach sermons like that because it doesn't happen. And so what I want to do is kind of rounding this up a little bit is I want to give you three reasons why God does not answer prayers. All right. Number one is this. You are praying, and the request is off, and so God says no. The Bibles of the writer are not naive about prayer. It is full of stories about people who ask for something and don't get it. I think the Bible may have as many stories about unanswered prayer as it does about answered prayers. One day, Peter, James, and John, they're hanging out with Jesus on a mountain. He gets radiantly transformed, starts hanging out with Moses and Elijah. And Peter in Mark 9, 5 says, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Like they're all on par with with each other. Peter doesn't know what to say. He's just terrified. You know what? Here's always something. You don't know what to say. You know what you can always do? Not saying anything at all. Yeah, just, just, just shut up, but he's frightened to know what to do, right? So, apparently, that thought doesn't occur to Peter at all, and so he makes this request. You know what Jesus says? No. No. That's a bad idea. James and John, they decide they, they want to upgrade their heavenly seating assignments, so they ask their mom to go talk to Jesus on their behalf. So she goes, I know, crazy, right? She goes, she kneels before Jesus, and in Matthew 20, 21, he asks her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. You know what Jesus says? No, the kingdom of God doesn't work like that by getting your mommy to come and beg me on your behalf. That's a no. Okay? The disciples, they go into a Samaritan village. They don't get welcomed when they go into the village. No surprise. Israel and Samaria have tons of hostility towards each other, so they don't get welcomed. James and John, again, go to Jesus, Luke nine fifty four, and say, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Like you do, right? You know what his answer is? No. No! Thanks for the thought, but no! All throughout the Bible, you see this. On four separate occasions, four different people, Moses, Jeremiah, Elijah, and Jonah, all get discouraged, all ask God to take their lives. In every case, God says, no, 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 no. And don't you think when their depression passed, they were glad that God actually said no? You think, God, that God sometimes says no. And now, there's actually a country-western music song about, actually a lot of them, about stuff like this. I know there's country-western music song fans in the room because you all get mad at me when I make fun of country-western music. But So Garth Brooks had this song a while ago called Unanswered Prayer. Anybody heard it? Bunch of weirdos. In this story, so he's got this whole story where one time he goes to a uh, football game at his old high school and he sees this girl who he hadn't seen for a long time. This girl he thought was like just really cute and hot. He was nuts about her in high school. He used to pray that God would make her his wife. It didn't happen. Now, all these years later, he goes back and he sees her and he wonders, what in the world was I thinking about this? And he whispers under his breath, thank God, thank God. And then the main line of the song, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Now, yeah, I don't know if you've ever gone to or planned to go to one day, maybe a high school reunion, and you will see somebody maybe you dated or really thought was really cute and you wanted to date them, and they see you across the room and they go, thank God. <laughs> Turn to the person next to you and say, you are someone's unanswered prayer. <laughs> you guys are so slow. You have to understand, it is fundamental to the kind of person that God is in the nature of prayer that God always reserves the right to say no. Otherwise, it would be just a total disaster. Every kind of power human beings have access to, we find a way to, our, to great destructiveness with it, whether it's verbal power, financial power, political power, nuclear power. Imagine that in prayer, you had all the access to all of God's omnipotent power. You can make anything happen the way that you wanted to. It would be an unmitigated disaster. Anybody who thinks unanswered prayer disproves the efficiency of prayer just has not thought about it very deeply. This is why it is wrong to look for some magic formula that always makes prayer work. Oh, if I do this for a month, Jabez, it's going to give me these things. Oh, uh, if I say the magic phrase in Jesus' name, then I get what I want. Oh, if I add the phrase, be your will, that's the magic. Oh, if I pray with boldness and enough faith, well, that'll give me what I want. Prayer is not an incantation. It is a talk with a person, a very, very wise, omniscient person. So sometimes our requests are going to be wrong, even when we don't realize it, and God's going to say no. And thank God he sometimes does. So if you're experiencing a no, well, maybe the request is off. Secondly, sometimes the request may not be a bad one, but it's not the right timing. And sometimes throughout the scriptures you will see this. God is always saying not yet. The Bible is full of verses where God is saying not yet, not yet. In the book of Genesis, right, you got Abraham. You're going to have a baby for 25 years. God, where's my baby? Please bring my baby. 25 years before God finally answers that prayer. When Israel, they go, they they leave captivity. They wander in the desert for 40 years. God, please give us the promised land. Give us the promised land. They wait 40 years. And God's like, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. Next week, you will see Joseph. He spends years in jail. A cupbearer finally shows up. He interprets a dream for this cupbearer. And then he waits in jail another two years after this before he's finally released. King David waits a whole lifetime for his prayer for the building of the temple to be answered. And then Israel, a nation, waits century after century after century for the Messiah to come sometimes a request may be right but it's not the right timing Isaiah 40 verse 31 they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength you know what word nobody likes in there wait wait parents one of the main things you can teach your kids growing up is patience how to wait for things with grace and honor you do not build patience into a kid by every time they go, I want candy. You're like, oh, what kind of candy do you want? Oh, I'll go buy it. What do you want? And that's not how you build patience into a kid. In Second Peter 3, 8, and 9, it says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. With the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Sometimes It's timing. It's timing. And it's also important to know that many times when God makes you wait, what he's doing in you while you're waiting is probably more important than what you're actually praying for because he's intending to do something. Our problem is we're always in such a hurry. Even if it's patience that we really want from God, we just want to pray and have God zap patience into us. ASAP. God, give me patience now. But God uses this waiting period to teach us. And time is relative for us. We have such different perspectives on time. I was reading this thing about this guy. And what he does is he he runs national tennis tournaments for all different age groups. So he's doing this one for like super, super seniors, like 90 and over. (laughs) The ambulances and, you know, the hip replacement doctors just hang out there the whole time just waiting. So there's this final, and there's a 92-year-old guy playing against a 94-year-old guy, right? And the 92-year-old guy hits his cross-court shot, and 94-year-old, he, 94 guy, he just can't get there. He's, ah, and he throws down his racket, and he goes, ah, oh, to be 92 again. <laughs> Time is just relative, and we are always in such a hurry. And, and what if all the things that God wants to do is, is not something that he's going to zap into us because he doesn't want to do it in a hurry? So sometimes there is something off, and God says, I want you to grow. And so I'm going to teach you how to wait. So sometimes it's just wrong. God says no. And sometimes there's time enough. And God says wait. But the third category, I think, is the hardest. It's the hardest. I think some people ask for really good things with really good hearts. And that prayer doesn't get answered. And quite frankly, I don't know why. I don't know why. But our problem with this is that we think that all of our prayers are from really good hearts. And our prayers are always for really good things. We think all of our prayers are this way. What I'm talking about is I know people who have cancer. You know, it's, it, it's life-threatening. It's debilitating. And they like a little kid that has one. And they're like, you know, every day I pray to God for her healing. Every day I pray to understand. Every day I ask God, God, would you make me sick instead of my little girl? Would you let me suffer? If you guys were at baptisms last summer, we baptized a guy named Terry. Uh, Terry, we had to pour water over his head because he had cancer, had a feeding tube, and couldn't go underneath the water. Terry died last week. Okay? It, it, it was actually, it's, it's kind of weird. I, I blame it on me. Because And that's not meant to be funny, but I walked in, and, I, and he's kind of in pain. And I grab his hands, and I pray with him. You know, like, God, just take away his fear. Give him peace. And I leave, and his wife goes, he just goes, he went downhill right after that. <laughs> just, and, and he died right after it. I'm like, I, I think that's a, that's a cool thing, personally, because I think he got a little bit of peace in that. But I'll tell you, every day they prayed for Terry. God, please take his cancer away. God, please let Terry get better. God, please do something in this. Why is heaven silent? on the prayers that we want answered most. Because I think everybody at some point ends up just like Joseph. You know, someday, if you haven't been there, you will. And I cannot point to you an explanation that, that explains all of the answers, but I can point you to a person. I can point you to Jesus Christ. I can only tell you at the heart of the gospel, in essence, is an unanswered prayer. See, Jesus, he's kneeling in the garden. And what he prays is, Father, if it's possible, may this cup, may this suffering, may this death be taken away from me but not my will, but yours be done. This is the most desperate prayer that was ever prayed for the most discerning person who ever lived from the purest heart that ever beat for deliverance from the most unjust suffering ever known. And you know what he receives? Silence. He receives a no. Now I am sure heaven was moved, but the cup was not taken away from him. And from that unmerited suffering came the hope that has remade the entire world. Because the ultimate answer to every human anguish, including unanswered prayer, is a sin-stained, blood-soaked cross where God himself suffered and died. And I will tell you, you know, I, I understand when you want a yes so bad and you get a no. My wife and I prayed for years to have kids, and we just we couldn't. And so we understand this. But I will tell you on the backside of it, I don't know why. I don't know why, but I do know that God is good. And I know that God's no to Jesus turned out to be a yes for every person who lived. And that is God's intent. I mean, how many of you have ever heard, if you love God, if you serve God, you obey God, then your life just goes well. God blesses you. You ever hear that? It's not true. It is not true. I mean, my sales pitch to you for Joseph should be, and Joseph lives happily ever after and ate uh, smoothies and steak all day long. That, that, that's what Joseph got. You know, but no, the, the more Joseph obeyed God, the worse life God. Oh, don't you want that life too? That's, that's the pitch. Jesus got betrayed by a friend, and, and, who, and he was murdered for no reason. And we are called to be treated like Christ, to understand that. And just because we obey God does not mean life goes well. Now, eventually, Joseph does rise out of jail, but it's only because God is faithful. Even when we have to wait, and we don't really know why. You and I must be a people who decide between an easy life and an obedient life. If you decide an obedient life, I believe that God may eventually bless you. He may. It all depends on him. But look at Joseph. Joseph goes to jail, to prison, an Egyptian prison. This is not Martha Stewart's camp cupcake. This is an Egyptian prison. There there are no weights and cable TV and cigarettes. This is like a hole in the ground. And for the best-looking dude in the Bible, jail is not a good place to be. But here is the key. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. In Joseph's life, what you see is everything has changed except for the one constant. God was still there. In the midst of our unanswered prayer, when we don't know what's going on, Jesus is always our constant. What you have to understand is that we may not understand what's going on in the entire course of history. Jesus is the one who is faithful and true. And that is why we follow and serve and trust no matter what the circumstances are. Because he is the God who has written history and it is going where he intends. This is one of the reasons every week we try and get you guys to a place where you understand communion better. Well, you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us and you dip it in the wine of the grapes that represents his blood that was shed for you and I. This point, because throughout the course of history, I am sure everyone's wondering, what is God doing? You know, the Israelites come out and they go into slavery in Egypt and they get out of that and they, and they kind of get their promised land. And then they go back into Babylonian slavery. What's, what's God doing? God is moving to the point of Christ. That's where he's going. God's plan is true. It is sure. It does not change. It goes where it needs to be going because he is the one who is always constant. He is the one. And that's why we trust him, especially in things that we don't understand. We live and we walk and we follow because he is the God of grace. And so the band's going to come up. We invite you guys to sing these songs to them, but to take communion and understand this. There's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you're in a place in your life and you have this desperate ache of unanswered prayer, we invite you to be able to go and pray with them. And you know what? Your prayer may not get answered today but you must understand what God is doing in the midst of it is equally as important as what that prayer is. Because God is good, and he is constant and true. Uh, There's offering box on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us, giving us part of our worship. And there's food in the back. uh, We try and get you guys to connect a little better. I'll tell you, you guys actually have an advantage over Joseph. Joseph is in a country with nobody around him. You know, you are... You know, in in a room of people reasonably saying maybe half of you are believers, okay? Maybe less. I don't know. (laughs) But you're in a place where you have other people come alongside you and help you walk this road in the midst of something like that. You are not alone like he was. Not only do you have God's spirit living in and through you, you have a body of people around you who can walk with you. This is why we push gospel community so strongly. Because in the midst of a gospel community, you can share what's going on and they can walk with you in it. This is important. It's important. And you and I need to be those who understand that how God worked this all out together because God is faithful, God is sure, God is true, God is good. And we must be a people who live in the security and understand that so that people would know around us. Why, in the midst of all this stuff going on in your life, do you still have faith and trust in God? Well, because God is the constant. God doesn't change. And this, that's, you know, Christmas... I know I've already written it. We're already there. Um, Christmas Eve, we're going to bring about this whole idea, and it's going to be called True North, that that's the constant. Jesus doesn't change. And so we're going to kind of work our way there this year to get there. You'll be like, and you'll probably remember this in the back of your head on Christmas Eve, maybe be like, oh, he didn't slam Santa Claus this year. No, we're going to talk about True North. We're going to get there because Jesus is the constant. And when we get there, I, I, I hopefully you'll see this whole year kind of accumulating to that point and you'll And it'll all click and you'll be like, man, that, that is amazing. Because our God is simply amazing. No matter where you find yourself, what you're going through, He is good and He is sure. And you need to live in that. Let's pray. Father this morning, I ask that you would take us as your people and that we would understand that you are the God who is faithful. Especially in all the times that we don't understand. Especially in times when we question your faithfulness. When we don't get why we have to wait, why we have a prayer that's unanswered, why we sit in the places that we do sometimes. Remind us of your constancy and your faithfulness and that you are the one who is true. That our world has one hope, and it is you. That you step down into the darkness that we live within, and you have brought great light great goodness and great grace to your people. So today, this morning, have our perspectives begin to change so we trust you more and look to ourselves less. And as we lift you up, people will be drawn to who you are because we're not swayed all over the place because we're looking for all these things and trying to get our lives all figured out. But we simply have our eyes fixed where they need to be. Upon you and your goodness and what you've called us to. And all the world may know that you are a God who is faithful and true. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.